electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Morgan, thank you very much. And live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. And here is what's on tap tonight. Stocks stuck in the mud as investors count down to tomorrow's Fed decision. Chair Powell expected to hold the line on rates. But with energy prices surging, housing slumping, and the consumer a bit on edge, could rate cuts come sooner rather than later? We will debate that one. Plus, deal delivered Instacart getting a solid bump in its debut as a public company, but its $14 billion valuation a far cry from its pre-IPO peak of nearly $40 billion. What happened there? We'll dig in on where it could go from here. And later, inside RH's distressed stock slide, the decap downgrade taking shares of Starbucks lower, and the options action for FedEx ahead of its earnings report. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. Upstairs from where I was the last It is so good to have you. New spot. Good to be here, here, everybody. The light looks what great on you. This? What do you think of this? What do you think of this? Spaceship. Great light for you. A lot of empty space here that we're going to fill with quality content. <laughs> on the desk tonight, Tim Seymour. You just saw him. Yeah. Karen Feinerman, Guy Adami, and Mike Coe. Thank you all for joining me. We start with the countdown to tomorrow's Fed decision. Stocks closing off their lows of the day, still down across the board, however, as investors await the outcome of the central bank's latest meeting. Markets all but certain we're going to get a pause tomorrow, a skip meeting. Still, bond traders are looking for more hikes in the months to come. The yield on two-year treasuries posting their highest close since 2007. So what do these moves tell us as we head into the uh, tail end of the year? Guy, why don't you go first? Tyler, it is great to have you. So, listen, we play this game from time to time. If you had told me this, what would have happened? So, 10-year yields today closed, the highest we've seen since October, if not before October. I would have said the S&P's down 75 handles. Easy, given the run we've had and given where things are. We actually rallied 30 handles off the lows today and closed only down 10 points, which I think is remarkable. To me... It's all about yields. Higher yields are not good. It does not suggest the economy is getting better. It suggests there's not demand for our debt, number one, and then inflation is still a problem, number that two. That supply of debt that's coming on, online, that is doing nothing but putting a floor under interest rates, right? Because you got to bid up the price. I believe that to be the case, yeah, and I don't the, think it's particularly equity-friendly either, Tyler. Yeah. Tim? Well, I think the long end is, is, has technical dynamics to it in terms of supply. I, I brought up the Bank of Japan. I brought up the, the JGB yields, which I think are going to continue to put upward pressure on Treasuries. With Guy 100% in terms of what the price action was like today. It also came on a day, though, it, you, you could have also thought maybe there's some downward pressure, some terrible housing market data. I don't know that it's necessarily the kind that moves the bond market dramatically, but housing starts, especially multifamily, which have been the lifeblood of the housing market for the last you know, five years, and which make a lot more sense in terms of a zero interest rate environment where a lot of those projects are, are profitable. And I, I just think that the housing market is starting to show some cracks. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a runaway train. 
but it's something where I think you have to watch it. You had CPI in Canada this morning, and to the extent that we, we love our friends up north, and yes, we look at your CPI sometimes, and it remains kind of sticky. So um, I thought the, the response of the equity markets was interesting as well, especially when you consider where we have seen the correlation to yields and, and, and equities. And I, I mean at least over the last few weeks. Uh, largely, we've had this commentary. We had it last night. Our, our equities whistling past the graveyard of interest rates and certainly forward PEs on the S&P and whatnot. But um, stocks are resilient here. Karen, walk us through your Fed think right now. You know, if we had had this conversation a year ago, there would have been a certain category of individuals who would have said, well, by this time next year, i.e. right now, 2023, we're going to be looking at the Fed cutting interest rates. Nobody's saying that today. Right. No, I think, I mean... It's a 24 thing if it's a 24. If it's a 24 thing, right. I think that we're... So tomorrow, it's sort of priced in they do nothing. I think that's the most likely, but... I don't think it's over. I don't think we're at the end. And to your point, so if we're not at the end, then we can't be at the beginning of cutting. So I think we're going to be, you know, in this higher for longer camp. And so I don't think the market has fully repriced that risk equity premium. But on the other hand, some tech stuff hangs in pretty well, right? The big tech yeah. names yeah. hang in pretty well. So we got a lot of cross currents here. We got, the, you know, the consumer feeling stretched. We got oil has had this Kind of quiet. Got six really dollar a gallon gasoline in California. So I, I actually saw a seven. I was there this weekend. Whoa. Seven and change. Whoa. I guess people will pay it. I don't know. But it was. It, Were you filling up gas for your lawnmower? For my lawn? I don't yeah. know. Oh, okay. Why? Out, out in the island? I mean, yeah, no. she carrying out lawn, mowing the lawn out there. Yeah, you know. Just, yeah. Anyway, no, I, I, it's interesting because I, I think that the gas dynamic is something else along with uh, what's going on with the auto strike and with what's going on with student loans. I mean, the, the Fed has got a lot of things to contend with here, especially in terms of growth. And, and it's, it, it doesn't make the, the, the calculus simple going forward. Yeah, as Karen said, a lot of cross currents here. Uh, Mike Coe, you're, you're living in the land of six, seven dollar uh, um, gasoline. What are you thinking? Six twenty-nine a gallon uh, at my closest Chevron. I'll just give you that little uh, tidbit. I don't know what it costs everybody where you live, but yeah, we're we're dealing with some pretty high gas prices, high gas prices, uh, high home prices, coupled with high interest rates. It, it, you obviously have a very pressured consumer here, and I think actually those are the two competing forces that basically help us understand how equities behave today. I think the reason that we saw us come off of those lows is that that is kind of the behavior you would expect if you're expecting a pause because you have those two cross currents going on. You have a pressured consumer, which is deflationary, arguably, but you do have higher prices in terms of energy and things like that. Obviously, the housing numbers that Tim was just talking about, that's not surprising. I mean, we have uh, just in terms of median home prices to income, they're at record highs and you couple that with higher rates, certainly than we are used to over the course of the last decade plus, then you're going to have uh, obviously a very pressured uh, housing market. And I think that's going to persist for some time. All right, let's break into this conversation for some breaking news on the Clavio IPO. Shares pricing at $30 a share. That's above the expected range of 27 to 29. Leslie Picker has more. Hi, Leslie. 
Hey, Tyler. Yeah, that's according to a source, Clavio pricing its IPO at that $30 price. Uh, that implies a fully diluted valuation of about $9.3 billion. That's about in line with where this company raised two years ago. So um, little change from those levels. I- I'm not sure at this time the actual offering size. Uh, I haven't been able to confirm that they still plan to sell 19.2 million shares, as is laid out in the prospectus, or if they have any plans to upsell it at this time, uh, but they have decided, uh, according to one person familiar with the matter, to price this deal at $30 per share above the range that they had been marketing, which was boosted uh, yesterday relative to the initial range that they had been marketing. So above a range that's higher uh, than they initially set out to, to raise, Tyler. Uh, so $9.3 billion valuation, did I hear you correctly on that, Leslie? 9.3. Let's trade it, folks. So what do we think here of Clavio at $9.3 billion? Well, first of all, it, it, it came in well above the range, and the price talk was 25 to 27 bucks. And if you think about the world and when we talked about the ARM IPO, you know, part of the success of this was really pricing this thing successfully. Um, what we saw during the, the go-go days of 21 is that these things were, were uh, you know, whether they were priced successfully or not, they went through the roof. This is an interesting dynamic. Um, the fact that, that Shopify owns 11 percent of, of Clavio, I think people are also watching for some knock-on effects there. Um, you know, again, it's, it's been a, and it's an exciting story backdrop for what's been going on in the IPO market after there's been a dearth uh, of this activity. But but I, but I, I wouldn't get too worked up. In the case of a couple of these deals, these were highly, highly telegraphed. We were expecting them. Uh, and in the case of Arm, I, I think there were very few other guys that could have come to market the way they did. NASDAQ at $51. I mean, think about what's going on here over the last couple of weeks. I mean, NASDAQ at $51, given the acquisition they made a few months ago, that will close, given all the things that are going on, this stock should be probably north of 75. It's undervalued. It's been under pressure, I think, unjustly so. If the calendar starts to open up, NASDAQ should win. Thoughts on Clavio or? You know, we've seen so paid to be in arm first day, paid to be in cart first day. Yeah. I got to assume this will happen as well. I don't know. Beyond that, I mean, if you look what happened to where Arm opened, traded up to and where it is now, you would have lost a fair amount of money. Same with uh, CART today. So I don't know. These are high flyers. And Great test, if you can get some and then me, quickly sell it. always is where Good. are these stocks going to trade six months from now, yes. a year from now. And most of them do not trade. Lower, right. Most, most of them, them trade, trade lower. lower. Most yes. of them trade lower, which is really the... the That's why they're coming to market, Tyler. <laughs> I mean, said, the good guys now. already bought it. Bring them now, baby. All right, let's turn back to the market and get more now from Mike Schumacher, Global Head of Macro Strategy at Wells Fargo Security. Welcome, Mike. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Tyler. What do you think uh, as we look ahead to the Fed tomorrow? Any, any blazing insights there? Are you expect it to be a skip meeting? Fed's not going to move tomorrow, but it's challenging for Powell in particular. He's got the press conference, so he wants people to think the door is still open. Hey, maybe we'll hike, maybe in November, maybe December. You've got this government shutdown, which is kind of a complication. He wants to make people think that's still in play, but not actually hike tomorrow. It's really a pretty tough line to walk. He's got inflation moving in the right direction for the most part over Mm. the last year. But what if it doesn't get to that target that they have been so articulate about? 2%, 2%, 2%. But it stays somewhere above that. 3%, 3 3.2, 2.8, something like that. Is that their their sort of worst case scenario? That's a really bad scenario for the Fed and for other central banks as well. Tim mentioned Canada this morning, bad inflation data there. It's a tough look for the Fed, ECB, whomever. So the question then becomes, what does the Fed do? Let's say not tomorrow, maybe in a quarter or two, 
if inflation has come down a little bit more, but it is sticking at 2728. Does it renew hiking? Does it try to jawbone it down? It's a really tough problem. So that's, I'd say that's the nightmare scenario. Are you in the longer, uh, the higher for longer category or not? At this point, I think it's less about when the Fed actually delivers a rate cut and more about when it signals that we're done hiking. And there are different things for the markets. So we're very much in the camp the Fed is about done hiking, whether it already happened back in July or perhaps it's next month or November, rather, who can say exactly, but somewhere in there. It's not so much about the first rate cut. Mike, I saw in your notes, you, you, look, you think money markets and what people, investors are earning at the short end of the curve is, is a really attractive place to be in terms of allocation. And, and it's not nece- necessarily fleeting. Um, some of the, the, the arguments you hear from folks is lock in some of, uh, some of that yield because there's reinvestment risk as the Fed quickly falls out of bed. What are your thoughts there? Still true, Tim, but it's interesting. Last time I was on the show, about a month, month and a half ago, I said buy short-term, but also buy longer-term bonds. We're sticking with that call. Yep. So 10-year Treasury gets down to 350 plus or minus at the end of the year. It's looking like a braver and braver position, but we'll stay there. And the reason, again, is that once the Fed really intimates it's about done, yields typically move down very, very quickly, 50, 60 basis points over the span of a few months. We think that's still likely to happen. All right, so 3.5%, I hear. And so what does 436 in 10-year yields tell you today? What is the market looking at? Tells me the market's not looking at my notes. Got to read up <laughs> a little more carefully next time right around. On. But I do think the supply issue has been a bit of a concern for people. And really, it's this notion that it's not just the Fed, but so many central banks are looking to move policy at about the same time. People out in the investing world, and also on the issue inside, too, we've talked to a lot of corporate clients recently, They need to see something a little more tangible from the central banks. Hey, we're just about done. The ECB delivered something like that last week. If the Fed were to do something like that, not tomorrow, but fairly soon, I think that would make people a lot more comfortable. So the supply thing, though, I do think is is relevant further out the curve, obviously. But if you look at some of the factors, like we just talked about oil, since July, oil is up a lot. I mean, how can they, I think it's, I think our next inflation print is actually going to go the wrong way, which I think would, don't you think that would put more pressure on the Fed to not be at the end? Yeah, that's tough, Karen. It's a good point. When you think about things like oil rocketing up, most important price in the world, you can't ignore it. You can't say, well, it's not part of core inflation. That's not what we focus on. That's a little too simple. And your average American says, hey, I eat and I drive my car. Those are the things I care about. If I pay seven bucks a gallon for gasoline, as you did, that's a bad scenario. So the Fed can't dismiss it. So it's a pretty bad look. But at the same time, the Fed can say, hey, look, labor conditions have softened a little bit. The market's not as tight as it was. That's probably a good thing. I'm not saying more people need to lose jobs, but still need to have hiring become a little bit easier. And that's probably a more long-term fundamental factor. So Again, the Fed is really trying to thread the needle here, but if oil does keep going up, it's going to make it much tougher. Where do you think the 10-year yield is six months from now, March, springtime? Yeah, so again, we're calling 350 at the end of the year. It's probably a little optimistic. I'd say mid-threes, perhaps not very different than our year-end call. But again, it really hinges on the Fed signaling not so much that that first rate cut is imminent, because it probably isn't, but hey, we're done with hiking. But that nightmare scenario we talked about a second ago, Tyler, inflation gets stuck then the Fed doesn't really have a lot of room, and tens are probably a lot higher in yield. And there are a lot of other central banks that have decisions coming up right this week. This week? Yes. It's a big week. Yeah, big week. Yeah. So you're going to have a lot to process, a lot to digest. That's right. ton of news, really, over the next two days. You've got the Fed, Bank of Japan, Bank of England, various others, Norges Bank. So it's a huge amount of news for the markets. That's right. 
And if a couple of those things go the wrong way, it probably does put upward pressure on bonds. Mike, thanks for being with us. We Thank you. It. Let's trade the, this. Uh, what, what are the opportunities here? Well, uh, everything I'm hearing from this conversation also tells me to be careful about consumer spending going into year end. I mean, if oil prices stay higher, and this was a fascinating day. Oil markets have been fascinating because we've talked about the dollar, which has also been rallying while oil has been rallying. It's 19 percent on oil since a 5 percent move on the dollar from mid-July this is going to bite into the same consumer that's biting and, and buckling under student loans and auto loans and, and some delinquencies. And, it, you know, the oil market, which also has the politics behind it. There's a there's a deal today between the U.S. and Iran on a prisoner swap. There's some discussion that Iranian oil is making its way around the world rapidly at two million plus barrels a day. Um, this is the kind of stuff that's feeding into uh, the geopolitics of these markets right now, which aren't easy either. But all of the things we've just discussed are not consumer friendly. Higher rates, higher gas uh, at a time when we've been seeing a lot of discretionary spending. That's the part of the market that I think you got to be very, very careful about. Mike Coe, what's a smart place to put my money apart from money market funds, which Michael Shoemaker uh, just talked about being a good place to to sort of hang out for a while? Well, I I think that is a pretty good place to hang out for a while because, I mean, you're earning a pretty good rate. I mean, you can get five plus percent. You know, we've got that's actually one of the first times you're going to be earning uh, rates that are higher than the sort of the core rate of inflation, at least. And, you know, if we do get into a situation where rates linger at high levels or go higher still, then you have to start questioning equity valuations. And if you start seeing some recessionary pressures as well on the back of all of that, then you could start seeing the earnings dropping a little bit as well. Now, we're we are still long stocks. Um, but, you know, higher oil prices. One other point I would make here is that, of course, we think about gas prices but those higher prices percolate to almost everything else. So, I mean, it inputs transportation and freight costs. Uh, it's a feedstock, so that has obviously implications as well. You know, we can't ignore uh, high oil prices and the implications for, you know, prices in general as we look at them. It's, it's one of the reasons why I've always had a sort of a bone to pick with this idea of core inflation, where you take out the two things that yes. are probably most core. And, and, and Mike, most inflationary. And most inflationary. <laughs> and Mike makes a great point. It's not just the, the price of gasoline or the price of heating oil. It's the price of the feedstock that goes into the plastics that I use. It's the price of transportation that's going up. It's all of the secondary sort of input costs. Costs By the way, that come I mean, along if, with, if, with uh, higher gas prices. If Tyler has a bone to pick with someone, guy, I'd be running the other direction. Well, I don't want to. He's a bad man. He's a bad man. Big man. Bad man. Yeah. But, a, but a good man. But a, a great man. Final thoughts. No, people watch the these. Ball. People watch business TV here. and they say, "You guys are talking about three percent inflation. What are you looking at? Yeah. I mean, if it's you're not me, it's not. It's probably two or three times that for the average American, and it and it aggravates people. And quickly. Not that I want to go down the rabbit hole of Japan, but there's a problem there. And their currency weakens daily. They're going to do what they can to support it. It's not going to work. And if dollar-yen continues to weaken, dollar strengthens against the yen, that's going to have ramifications for us here in our equity market. Final thought? I, I am concerned about the consumer. However, I'm always long. I'm just going to have to ride it through. You just ride it through. All right, folks, coming up, should Instacart be in your cart? The grocery delivery company making its NASDAQ debut today. And no first day jitters on this one. Can it keep up its momentum? We'll get some answers next. Plus, we're bringing you the options action on FedEx. Results due out after the bell tomorrow. So is this transport trade ready to deliver? Don't go anywhere. Fast Money will be back in two. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Instacart making its debut today on NASDAQ. Shares of the grocery delivery company closing more than 12% higher than the IPO price of $30 a share. But that was a far cry from the opening trade of $42, so it came back to earth just a bit. So what do you make of the uh, seeming loss of momentum here, Tim? It's Again, it's a concern. We knew that there was going to be a lot of hype around this. This is a... a, a Another one of these companies that people had been expecting, and there's there's a real business there. There's a re, there's absolutely, and I think the way they priced the deal was supportive. But but you know the marginal dollar for a company like this at a valuation that's not a giveaway, uh, I, I think in this tape is challenging. So there's always excitement around an IPO market, and, and I, I think the book runners did a great job here because you can see the pop it had. Um, we'll see what it does tomorrow in the next couple of days. That's really going to define this. Prices at 30, opens at 42, mm. goes to 42.95, and ends at 33. Mm-hmm. Is that a good sign? No, I think it's not. I mean, it would have been better if it opened at 33. Was that a layup for you? I mean, I, I just right. toss the ball up and you smash it. <laughs> right. I, mean. I just, you know, I guess, you know, it sort of tells you you got to be the first one out. Same in arm, right? Very early on. Well, I guess it had that run at the end of the day, but very yeah. early on, be the first one out. So we'd like to see, as you know, guy loves NASDAQ. Um, Stocks are like doing better. You know, yeah. at least Instacart, I mean, uh, Tim's right about valuation stuff, but at least you can make a somewhat reasonable case at maybe three and a half, four times earnings. It's not ridiculous in the environment we've seen. On the flip side of that coin, Arm, which has basically done two and a half to $2.75 billion a year for the last three years, at one point at its zenith, was trading around 25 times revenues. It doesn't make any sense. It's, listen, it's a great company, greatest ecosystem of all time. I get it, all those things. There's a price for that. It ain't 25 times revenue. Mike, what, what are, it's, are companies just rushing to market now because they see the, the, the window is opening here a, a little bit and it's a little wider than it was, and so they're coming in? What do you, what do you, how do you well, analyze I, I, what we're seeing? I, I think the opportunity for issuance, I mean, look, we, ha- we haven't had a whole lot of it. So I think that no. there's really been a lot more on the demand side. And so arguably, there would have been better times to come to market in the last 18 months or so than today. You know, as far as Instacart's valuation is concerned, what are we looking at? About a buck and a half a share, maybe a dollar eighty next year. That's 20 percent growth, 21 times earnings. Valuation isn't the issue. The issue is supply and demand right now, and right now there is an ample supply of stock. It looks like a lot of people who hold it are interested in selling, and the best way to see that is take a look at how it traded from about as soon as it basically started trading today versus the S&P. You can see they went in opposite directions. So even as equities were doing okay from about 1 p.m. into the close, this thing sold and then closed on the dead low. 
So I, I think that they're probably going to be cheaper places to buy it than uh, than the closing and price we, we saw right today. Now, Tim. Yeah, I, I would I would also say, and it gets as Mike's talking about supply and demand of new issues. I mean, there there are a lot of hedge funds that are in the business of doing this. There's a lot of investors that are excited by new issues. Um, the size of the intraday market cap got it got up close to 15 billion dollars. And again, you can pick whatever valuation on a sales multiple you want to put on this and see what holds. But 660 million of stock was 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 sold today, which isn't massive. In other words, if you think about the free float and if you think about the size of the company, it, it does lead you to believe that there's still a little bit more. I, I think not a ton of supply out there in this one. And I think that's going to support the stock. All right. There's a lot more fast to come. Here's what's coming up next. Knock, knock. It's an earnings delivery. FedEx gearing up to report results. So how should you trade the transport? The options action in that name, next. Plus, a chip check on Intel. The company making some major hardware announcements at its latest innovation event. The semi-specifics ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Uh, FedEx gearing up to report earnings after the bell tomorrow. That stock up more than 44% this year so far. And options traders are betting that this one keeps on delivering. Mike Coe has the action. Tell it to us, Mike. Yeah, so FedEx traded more than three times its average daily options volume today. Right now, the options market is implying a move of a little over 5% by the end of the week after they report earnings. Calls outpacing puts just slightly. The busiest contract were the weekly 270 calls. We saw over 4,300 of those trade overall. That included a purchase of just over 1,100 of them for about 60 cents. A buyer of those calls was obviously betting that the stock is going to pop after earnings. This is a name that we own. It is trading at a less than market multiple. Uh, However, it is trading at above average multiples to itself on a historical basis. And we should remember that one year ago, Uh, They reported earnings same quarter a year ago, and it was one of the worst that they had reported in decades. So uh, obviously, as a holder, I'm hoping uh, that this options trader is right. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's trade this one. Karen, why don't you take the first whack? Well, I have UPS, um, so they'll move together for sure. FedEx has had they've had somewhat of a turnaround. They did, um, uh, you know, Fred Smith left. They have new CEO who'd been there a long time. So it wasn't a big change, but he did seem to. Uh, have a sense of urgency and the stock really improved. But I think it's really about the consumer somewhat. Obviously, they're a huge pandemic uh, beneficiary. And if that's slowing, then I think that won't be great for them. Quick thought. I, I like it. Uh, they benefited from UPS's Teamsters issues. I think their TNT integration is very positive 10 times. I mean, we talked about the multiple. It's, it's not something that scares me. Let's just be clear. I mean, if the recession that everybody says is, is coming, FedEx tends to, to, to be a leader. And by the way, um, FedEx has been outperforming the market. Fuel prices aren't going to help them. Not going to yeah. help. And that'll f- factor into their margins, which should come in around operating more 6%-ish or so. Stocks had a run. Valuations never 
ever a concern about FedEx. It doesn't seem to matter, though. And in terms of EPS growth, you got it in spades, but it's about their way they operate and how well they've done in this environment. These energy, the run-up energy in this quarter could actually hurt margins, which I think might hurt the stock. All righty. For more options action, be sure to tune in to the full program on Friday at 5.30 Eastern time. I'll be here. Yeah, you will. You don't want to miss that. I'm going to be here for that. I really am. Coming up, the future of semiconductors. Intel holding its annual innovation conference, revealing new processors and chips. What the CEO is saying about the company's next move. The details next. And Christina Parksonevo's got a piece of this action, too. She's going to be here. Well done. All right, and back to basics. Disney doubling down on its parks and cruise businesses. But will the move be enough to turn the Magic Kingdom around? We'll debate the mouse when Fast Money returns. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. Always a close call here. When we're yeah, well, yes, welcome back to Fast clean. Money, everybody. Stocks closing lower as investors await. Tomorrow's big Fed decision, or not, the Dow falling 100 points, the S&P and NASDAQ both dropping about two-tenths of 1%. Eli Lilly announcing lawsuits against a handful of medical spas, wellness centers, and pharmacies. The drug maker accusing the businesses of selling products uh, claiming to contain terepatide. Mm. Uh, Don't look to me. I'm not. Trizepatide. Sound good to me. Zepatide. Go with it. Own it. Own it. (laughs) Own it. The active ingredient in this diabetes drug, uh, Manjaro, uh, which is expected to be approved for weight loss later this year. Eli's shares are up 57% this year. Manjaro, a big, big reason why. Meantime, Intel shares dropping as it's. Innovation event kicks off. The recently outperforming semi posting its worst day since June. CEO Pat Gelsinger speaking with CNBC about some big hardware announcements. Christina Partsenevelis has more on the call and all of it. Christina. Well, he actually started the event with some push-ups on stage. And then afterwards, wow. he went to, this is the CEO, Pat Gelsinger, he proceeded to, to give a demonstration on a laptop and create an, a Taylor Swift-like song. And the point of that was, and I know everybody's distracted by now by, by the video, but the point of demonstrating with the laptop is that Intel wants to bring AI to PCs. That was the big message with this uh, latest innovation, uh, more of a developer conference. And what he did say is the Intel Core Ultra Processors, that's the name. They're going to have AI capabilities in PCs, like uh, with Dell or HP, as soon as December 14th, with next generations available in 2024 as well as 2025. So it seems like they're on track. There's a few other announcements, collaborations with companies. And yet the stock is down. The stock has been lower all day, and it actually fell uh, throughout the presentation. There's a few reasons. First, a lot of hype around this event. A lot of it was expected. There was no unexpected news. You also had the CFO comment. CFO commentary said year-over-year gross margins will expand, but it may not be hundreds of hundreds of basis points next year, noting the startup costs are very high when you're building a foundry in the United States, when you're creating all of these new chips, uh, five in the next four years. And then the other point, too, is that there was no comment about their potential or upcoming foundry customers. Who's going to be using these fabs in the United States? Our John Ford was able to speak to the CEO, uh, Pat Gelsinger, just about an hour ago, and he talked about those high costs. Listen in. 
The market has worked through a lot of inventory issues. Those we believe are largely behind us on the client side. We said we still have a little bit more work on the networking and on the data center side you know, for that. But of course, this is an expensive journey. An expensive journey indeed. And as you say, it's not even clear who's going to be using these, these fabrication plants. Well, they said that they had already secured a, uh, a big a customer, I should say, for 18A nodes. So these are advanced nodes, but they didn't provide details. And that was some of the expectation coming out of this, that there were we were going to get more details on who their customers were going to be. Because why? Intel wants to compete with TSMC, yeah, with who Samsung. who are they going to compete with? Well, they all the founders all around the, the world, Samsung, the... TSMC. And so that's, that's also why Intel has actually been doing well over the last little while. Because of escalating tensions with China, all of this, Intel could be a beneficiary, much like Global Foundries as well because they're on U.S. soil. And eventually, maybe if Apple, if China goes to ban Apple or something similar, you would have to reroute some of the supply chain back to the United States. And a company like Intel could benefit. Let's trade this one. What do you think? Well, I'm long the stock. Uh, it's only Intel could trade down when talking about AI. I mean, it, it really does seem to be uh, a disappointing dynamic. They are the fact that they are uh, getting stuff out there for the holidays. I mean, it, you know, whatever that means. It, it's not like you're looking for one of these under the tree. Uh, there are corporates that are out there that are saying they're actually using the new Intel chips to, in their large language models, including Alibaba, who's out there, who uh, clearly was making these comments at, at the event. I, I, you know, if you think about the things that are going on in this country, including strikes and, and whatnot, and you think about the, this administration's build at home or nearshoring dynamics, this is a reason to be supportive of, of Intel. Uh, the, the amount of government support for a lot of the CapEx they will need, we've already heard all about it. We knew Intel was going to be spending this kind of money. I'm surprised at this reaction because, frankly, the amount of CapEx that they've already talked about over the last yeah. year uh, is something that shouldn't surprise people. Karen? Well, I, I mean, if you look at what the semiconductor index has done versus the stock, the stock has really done well, to, to your point. I think it has to be because of their U.S.ness. Um, but I don't know. I just feel like the stock is cheap, it's, it, but it has been cheap for a while. I think I would rather buy it higher after they've sort of proven and gotten their mojo back. To me, it's not dissimilar. The business isn't the same, but as you're IBM. You're sort of a show-me mode. Yes. You're, you're from Missouri there. Apparently, yes. Mike Coe. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we don't happen to own Intel, but I will say, kind of to Tim's point, I mean, this is a company that was on the wrong track and they're on the right one now. Uh, Pat Gelsinger is a technologist. You know, he is an electrical engineer. The company started to basically fall back relative to its peers when, you know, no offense to Bob Swan necessarily, but you, you have to innovate continuously. And that's, I think, what they're trying to do right now. And I think, you know, as far as the relative performance versus the semiconductors, we would expect it actually to start seeing a little bit of outperformance simply because it underperformed for such a long time. Uh, you know, we do own Micron, which is really more memory uh, than it is in this space. But uh, I actually think that this is probably a company that is on the right track, although maybe uh, it isn't the time to buy it just yet. Push you know, ups on, of, push-ups on stage. I was going to say, have you ever, why have you never done that man. at the start of Fast Money? Just run out here and he just can't. dropped and, and done a couple. <laughs> couple. She, she said that out loud. She, said that she, she thought it. Yeah. And it came, I mean, it's There's not much, you know, between here, the distance is yeah, short, no, no. right? First of all, those even push-ups? Yeah. yeah. Do you, are you watching this? Yeah, let's see. Let's see. All right, I missed it. He's I mean, I'm it sure he's a lovely guy, now. but I got to tell you something. That's a bit of a Johnson move, number one. <laughs> I'm joking, no, by Number the way. two, I know you are. I'm sorry. Christina, months ago, pointed out, I mean, Intel's positioned themselves as a homeland security play. And the move that we saw today... You've seen at least three moves of the same magnitude since February. This is a $25 stock. 
a magnitude sell-off happened in April, again in June, and again in August, and we're seeing it now. It's lower left, upper right, valuation reasonable. They figured it out. And if you give them a higher multiple based on the fact that it is this homeland security thing, stocks should go higher from here. All right. Now yeah, drop folks. and give me five. <laughs> That's a demand. We, by the way, you can see this What's thing in the middle in here? here. We got a lot going on in There's there. There's a lying dish. Yeah, we have all don't, kinds don't, of don't, Folks, don't, don't get the cameras. I don't want people to see yeah, that. It's, no, it's no. a cauldron. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Christina, thank you. Wow. Good to be with you. All right, coming up, Disney doubles down. Why the entertainment giant is betting big time on theme parks and cruise lines. And later, Starbucks shares on ice. One Wall Street firm downgrading the coffee giant and sending shares dropping, as you see there. We will bring you the details and the trade ahead, and CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage. Here's the founder of All Minds Count. I find that many Latinx grow up in America trying to fit in, and fitting in is very different from having a sense of belonging. This country is what it is in big part of because of our contributions. So owning that, being proud of that, and then looking up to those who have achieved their dreams. It is a big part of leveraging our Hispanic heritage. All right, welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Has the magic left the magic kingdom? Disney shares dropping as the company announces uh, to nearly double its planned investment in parks and cruises. Those businesses, it can double it to roughly $60 billion in CapEx. The division has been one of the bright spots for Disney, which has, of course, struggled with its streaming and media businesses. But domestic parks have seen a slowdown in attendance as well. So, Mike Cole, what do you make of today's announcement? Well, you know, I mean, if we're talking about discretionary spending and that's what essentially you're relying on in that part of the business, uh, I'm a little bit concerned, I have to say, because I think consumers are under some pressure. We did see them sort of step back a little bit from some ticket price increases that were not that well received. So I think that, you know, you're making an investment in an area where your ability to increase prices is limited. And that just basically reflects on the consumer's ability to spend additionally. You know, years ago, the reason to buy Disney was because it always had this money printing press in the form of ESPN running in the background. And that probably represented about 40 percent of the value of the shares when you took a look at it. But that isn't necessarily the case either. You know, we're seeing a lot of competition, especially in sports programming. Uh, You know, you take a look at YouTube's participation, for example, with this NFL Sunday ticket thing. I mean, I feel like they're getting pressure on all fronts. Karen. Yeah, they are getting pressure on all fronts, right. I mean, this is $60 billion. It is over 10 years. Although I looked at their last 10K, uh, I think it was $4.9 billion of parks CapEx. So that's a big percentage jump, but... It's not all that much. A a, a billion one on their their run rate of revenue. I mean, the parks are doing well and have done well. And, they, you know, for them to think 10 years out, that makes sense. You have to think when you do the kind of projects that they do. What, of course, comes up, though, is, wow, they're spending a ton of money, right? Streaming business costing them a ton of money. They want to buy Hulu. That's going to be another $10, $9, 10000000000 billion. They already have a lot of debt from Fox. I don't know what they'll get or get what something. What they're going to get for ABC. Right. Who knows? So I don't know. The balance sheet's a bit stretched. I Took a foray into Disney after that uh, last earnings call, lost money, 
I'm out. I, I just, it seems like the comments that they're making are really working against them. And I realize this is a regulatory filing. And so, you know, it's not like they're out there uh, necessarily having a big conversation with markets. Uh, I agree with Karen. I also think parks, which were $32 billion of operating income in the last 12 months, deserve it. I mean, this is 60% of EBITDA. And this is part of, I, th- I think, highlighting just how valuable this part of the franchise is. But it does seem like Disney is, in terms of their negotiations, I mean, if you're, if you're a company that's out there and has to buy something, when you talk about, you know, this kind of a cap spend or, or the places where they're actually selling assets in linear TV. And it does seem like sometimes they're talking down the value of these assets in their negotiations. Just doesn't make a lot of sense. And as a guy that that is long Disney stock, I mean, I, I feel like the black bear uh, on the loose today was was uh, maybe the bigger deal. Oh, there was, a, was that the country bear jamboree? Yeah, of, of course. That's, That's your favorite the, ride. It's yeah. my third favorite ride. Yeah. yeah. Number Mr. Toad's wild ride. Right. And of course, Hall of Presidents. Parts of the Caribbean is good, though. Too. You like that? Yeah. 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 You read that book, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't well, know what that means. Residents, you can be there alone, right? I, I, I love the. I, I wait online over and over you again. Wait, to go, there is no line. line. There's no line. All righty, coming up, everybody. Pumpkin spice problems. Starbucks shares dipping lower here. Stick around for that trade and more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. A bitter day for Starbucks shares dropping a percent and a half after TD Cowan downgraded the stock to a market perform from outperform. Analysts saying that the uh, slowdown in China could have venti-sized implications (laughs) for the stock. Oh, that's nice writing right there. Our Kate Rogers joins us now with the details. Hey, Kate. How many puns can you fit in there, Tyler? Hi. Starbucks stock lower today, as you said, on this downgrade from TD Cowan from outperform to market perform on concerns about its business in China, which is the coffee giant's second home market. Analyst Andrew Charles says, quote, we like the long term story, but move to the sidelines as we monitor China macro and competitive dynamics, pointing to some of those pressures in China. It says it was pleased with the company's performance in China in June, but has concerns that the headwinds are set to increase in the market rather than ease up. Now, for context, last quarter, same-store sales in China increased 46% as the company lapped some major COVID lockdowns. This downgrade comes as Starbucks also announced today the opening of its China Coffee Innovation Park, which is located about an hour from Shanghai. It is a global first for the company and its largest investment in a manufacturing and distribution center outside of the U.S. at $220 million. Uh, the center will support the company's goal to reach 9,000 location, locations rather in China by 2025. It has about 6,500 today. Back over to wow. you. And what is the total store count? Do you know, Kate, globally? Oh, is off it the top of 30? my head, I don't want to give you the wrong number. I want to say it's over 35,000. Yeah, I think. I think I read something. It was like 35,000. That's just amazing That's to right. me. That's right. Yeah, it might be 36K. Yeah. Let me just point out that one of the great people in the world is Guy Adami because he brings me, when I come here, a venti vanilla <laughs> iced latte decaf. He texts me That's before special. I come in nice. and asks <laughs> me what I want. This is, this is the kind of guy he is. I love you. Well, Tim's been on top of this. I'll say a couple things. There's a high price target on the street of $150. That's ridiculous. This downgrade took the price target down to $107. Still expensive. The average price target is $113. $95 is a line in the sand in terms of technicals. 
And if there's a slowdown in China, it does not deserve a premium valuation to the broader market. So I think the stock continues to go down. Tim, quick thought. I think Guy got me a venti this afternoon, too. Uh, and no soy milk it. in mine, Guy. Um, and, but I tell you, I, I look at this, I, the chart's going to 85, and I will be adding some more. China's 16% of EBIT. Part of their argument is they actually think that U.S. comps, this is Cowan, hold up. Um, I think their bigger issue is U.S. I'm less concerned about China, even though I recognize what they're saying. 85 will get you a couple of ventis. They cheap. That's not cheap. No, that's the problem. Meantime, retail stocks in the red again today. Dollar Tree, Dollar General, uh, Macy's, Etsy, all touching multi-year lows, while the XRT retail ETF closed just barely in negative territory. It's now down nearly 10% in the last two months. So with the holiday shopping season just around the corner, can you believe it? What does the weakness mean for retail? Karen, take it away. Well, we've talked about the consumer being stretched all along, but I think some of them might have bounced today, right? We saw Target bounce, Etsy bounced well off the lows. Etsy is interesting to me. It's very asset light. I kind of like that. Um, So I don't know. I'm a little bit optimistic because these are some of Macy's, I believe, is low single digit multiple of of earnings, of earnings. I mean... And it's not distressed. No, I, I hear you on that. Although, you know, Macy's has proven they can trade in, in a mid-single-digit <laughs> multiple. And, yeah. and uh, that used to be when we were very worried about the balance sheet. I, I'm, I'm, it's shocking the move in Macy's. I have no position there. Um, agree at some point. It's, it's interesting. But what I heard on the delinquencies from they and Nordstrom's doesn't make me feel great. And I think this holiday season is going to be uninspiring. Uninspiring. Mike, are you inspired by any of the retailers, including Macy's? Well, I mean, it's traded, as they were just pointing out, at single-digit multiples, but maybe not this low. I mean, we're talking about four times earnings. That, that's pretty cheap. And, you know, I, I've been negative on the consumer, and they are stretched. We are seeing rising delinquencies. You know, we can see that also in auto loan rejections and a lot of other places. But it does seem like consumers tend to reach into their pockets around the holidays. And so I think if we're going to get a surprise— uh, that that could be it, actually. So I have a feeling that it might be a, I'd be a better buyer than a seller here. All right, Mike, thank you. Up next, we're going to bring you some final trades. All right, time for our final trades. Let's go around the horn, beginning with Mike. Mike. Yeah, FedEx, we own it going into earnings. I think revenues are the things you're going to have to keep an eye on, though. One vote for FedEx. Tim, how about you? Uh, first of all, Thank you for being here. Hey, this is always a, 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 a week, great hope. show. Well, we, we appreciate it. Thank you. Um, Guy, good luck uh, at the House of Presidents uh, because <laughs> I, I realize that the, the, but the CapEx here, this is an overreaction. Disney's got other issues. This is not their issue. You buy that weakness. All right, Karen. Yes, as I said, I'm always long. I have some hedges, but I do have one other asset, which is one-year treasuries. I think the risk wow. rewards compelling. Treasuries, yeah. One year. Well, that's where we Five began plus. the program. Uh, and yeah. now we circle all the way back. Basically cash. All right, guy, we got to see brought us some video. I mean, I'm sure Pat, I've never met him, Pat Gelson. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Uh, nice guy. But yeah, he had true. two push-ups on stage. sort of embarrassing. You, I mean, you would have rattled off 50. Oh. Because I know that's who you yeah, are. One that's arm. right. Yeah. One arm, right. no less. I mean, you know. Stallone style. Pinnacle. Stallone. Yeah. I mean, Stallone, I Tyler. Oracle, old tech, back to you. Old tech. All right, thanks for watching Fast Money, everybody. You know what's coming up next. That would be Jim Cramer and Mad Money. It starts right now. 
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.